If you want to follow along, open up your hymnals. Uh, 350 on the page. We're going to sing I Surrender All. Uh, I would encourage you and invite you to sing along with us even though you're sitting down. Uh, so we'll do I Surrender All.
well with, with how should we live with the return of Christ being imminent. Um, how can we be ready for the return of Christ? Well, by living uh, for him, by uh, surrendering to him. Um, so let's go ahead and, and take a, a few minutes of fellowship uh, before we get to the sermon this morning.
All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, and we get to start a new chapter today, and uh, those of you who are following along with us would, should be very happy that we've moved out of 24 and into 25. I actually uh, got on Facebook this morning and saw a memory of last year at this time, and we were in Matthew 21. Uh, so <laughs> we've not made it very far, so anytime we get to change into a new chapter, everybody should be very happy. Uh, so we've made it about three chapters into a fourth one in, in the last year, and we've spent a long time in Matthew 24 looking at the details of the coming of Christ, and it's been very specific and very detailed in what he's told us about his second coming, and we've looked at all that, spent a lot of time on that, and now we're transitioning into a, a new section of this sermon where Jesus is going to get us ready. It's not so much the details of his second coming as it is, we need to all be ready for his second coming. I think that's the most important part. I think that's what he's focusing on in, in the entire passage. He gives us the, the information so that we can have a transformation in how we live. So we all need to be getting ourselves ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the passage today, I think as we prepare, he gives us a great lesson on being ready. And the title of the sermon, and really the main point of the passage today is, Don't Be Foolish. Steph told me not to, to title it, Don't Be a Fool. She said, say foolish. It sounds better like that. But I'll say, don't be a fool. Don't be foolish. And we'll put an exclamation point on that. We need to live our lives today, not in a foolish way, to get ready for Christ. So you'll see that. Let's, let's stand together and we'll look at Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And I know it's a lot to cover for us today, 13 whole verses. But I think it's, it's a good point, a good lesson for us on being ready. Don't be foolish. Starting in verse 1, let's read this parable. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, and he said, Verily I say unto you, I... I'll say it this way, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man will come. Don't be a fool in how you live your life today. That's the point. So let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, this is a very serious passage. I think all these passages on being ready is serious. We need to take them that way. Only a fool would close their ears to what's being said today. So let us all be wise. Let our eyes be open, our ears attentive. Let our hearts be ready to receive this word today. And I pray, God, that you would, please, this has been my prayer all week long, that you would use this passage to prepare all of our hearts for the coming of Christ. Please do that. May our church be ready when Christ returns. May we live every day ready for the day that we will meet you. So God, please help me and help us today. We need your enablement, your, your power in order to, for us to com accomplish anything here. So please help us, God. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
there's an old Greek philosopher named Epicurus, and he had a motto. It was a famous motto that he, he lived by, and he asked all of his followers to live by. And I think it's a, a motto that many in our world today still live by, even if they don't realize it or not. And his life's motto was this, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may all die. That was his life's motto. That's how he lived his life. And, and what he believed was the life of pleasure and satisfaction was the greatest pursuit in life. And he lived it that way. That he was going to pursue a pleasure and satisfaction anywhere and everywhere that he could find it. That's how he lived. And I think there's, uh, whether we know it or not, there's a great movement in our day where everybody's trying to live like this. We hear the sayings, and you've all heard them. You've heard the, the, the phrase, and YOLO, you only live once. And that's a motto of you, you're only going to live for a little while here, so you better get everything you can while you can and live for pleasure and satisfaction. You've, you've all heard the, the, the motto, life is short, enjoy it while you can. You've heard people say, I'm going to live it up. I'm going to make the most of it. You've heard go for the gusto, and you've heard the people at Nike tell you to just do it. While you're living here, you better get everything you can while you can. That's the motto. We, we even hear it from, from churches where pastors will stand up and say, live your best life right now. And they're, 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 they, don't, they don't realize it, but they're going by that same motto of that Greek philosopher of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may all be dead. Live it up. Go for it. And that may sound good, and you all may walk out of here saying, yeah, I need to live for today. But Jesus would call this in Luke 13 a foolish way to live. He actually says, thou fool. And the reason it's a, a foolish way to live is because it fails to consider eternity. It fails to consider that there will be eternal consequences for how we live our lives today. It fails to consider that, yes, life is short, but whoa, eternity is very long. It fails to consider that, yes, you only live once, but every single one of us in this room will live forever somewhere, either heaven or hell. It fails to consider that what we do now matters for all eternity. It's a foolish way to live. Only a fool would fail to prepare for eternity. Only a fool would live for today and never think about tomorrow. And that's exactly what Jesus is, is telling us here in, in Matthew 25. He's telling us, and that's the main point of the, of the whole sermon today, if you're going to get anything, get this, only a fool fails to prepare for eternity. As we look at this parable, Jesus has already said in Matthew 24 that He's coming back. And He is coming back. There's no doubt to that at all. It's with certainty that we know that just as sure as Jesus came the first time, He will come the second time. There will be a victorious, climactic, glorious return of Jesus Christ. All of history will end with the return of Jesus Christ. That's going to happen. We don't know when. He already said no man knows the day or the hour. It could be sooner than we expect. It could be as soon as tonight. Or it could be later than we expect. But either way, we must always be ready. And that's what this parable is about. He gives us a, a second parable. And he shows us two types of people. And these two types of people are the types of people that he will find when he returns. Last time he, he had two types of servants that, that would be the type of people that would, would be here when he returns. And today he gives us the same, two types of people. Last week it was ready or not. This week it's wise or it's foolish. And there's only two. When Jesus returns, there's only going to be two types of people. Those who are ready and those who are not. Those who are wise and those who are foolish. And we all have to put ourselves in one of those categories. 
There's no middle category. There's no third, fourth, or fifth category. You're ready or you're not. You're wise or you're foolish. So I want to tell you today, don't be foolish. We want to be the wise. So you need to ask yourself that as we read this today. Am I wise or am I foolish? A wise man will be prepared for his coming. A foolish man fails to prepare for eternity. So which one are you? Are you wise or are you foolish? And I'll tell you, I want to tell you right now what the word foolish means. I should have put that as a title of my sermon. The word foolish is moros in the Greek. Where do we get the word moron? My title of my sermon should have been, don't be a moron. Talking about getting some views and some responses to that. So today, don't be a, a fool. That's what Jesus would say to us today. Don't be foolish. So let's look at this parable, this story. And again, don't be foolish. I'm going to break it down into three points for you. And I'm going to show you, first of all, the fool's preparation. The fool here isn't prepared, and the, the wise man is prepared. He says there in verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. And, and he says the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, ten bridesmaids. That word virgins would be bridesmaids. So the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is like uh, ten bridesmaids getting ready for a, a wedding. That, that's what he's saying here. I, I think Jesus loved weddings. He used weddings in, in a lot of parables. He went to weddings. Jesus was a big wedding guy. So he said the kingdom of God is like ten bridesmaids getting ready for a wedding. And then he describes here to us, in the first five verses, a typical Jewish wedding. We don't know much about weddings, Jewish weddings. But they were very traditional. They had the, the, the way that they did things, just like there's a, a way that we do things, where there's one side that the bride's family sits, and there's one side that the, the groom's family sits, and there's a way that you walk the aisle, and a place that you stand, and all these different things that we do. See, they had a very traditional way that they did weddings. And it wasn't just a wedding, it was from the time that they planned it all the way to the end. I'm going to give you three things that they did, three stages of a Jewish wedding. You guys need to get this, three stages to a Jewish wedding. And it's nothing like our weddings. It's nothing about how we go about getting married. When I wanted to marry Steph, it started way back in sixth grade. That sounds like a country song, way back in sixth grade. I saw a girl that I thought was pretty. And I asked her for a number, and I had to call, and then and her dad would answer. And it was, a, it was very, very awkward. And then it, you know, it goes a long time, and that, that's what happened here. Watch this. There's three stages to a Jewish wedding. The first stage was called the engagement. I like this. This didn't involve the bride or the groom at all. It was, it was the, the bride's father and then the groom's father. And it started when they were just babies. One father would say, I'm going to find me a family that I want my child to be a part of. And, and I'm going to go to that father and I'm going to say, I want my daughter to marry your son. He'd say, what do you want to give me? And they'd say, I'm going to give you some cattle. Okay, shake on it. They'll get married when they get older. I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah, just going around looking for somebody for my kids to marry. Let's make a deal. I'll give you a coffee mug and a gift card. <laughs> 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 That's all I got. <laughs> And so they'd have this engagement, and they'd shake on it, and they'd hand things over, and it was said, and it was official that this little child, this little girl would marry this little boy. And they never saw each other, they didn't know each other, until you came time for the second part, which was the betrothal, or the ceremony, where they would meet each other, and they'd come before a crowd of people like our wedding, and they'd do their vows, and they'd make their promises, and at that point it's legal, but it's not official. At that point, they'd get married and they'd have the, they'd have the, the, the ceremony. 
And all the people would, would be there. And then they wouldn't come together at that point. They wouldn't live together at that point. They would consummate it at that point. The, the groom would have to go back home. And get this, he'd have to get a job. He'd have to get his house ready. And the, the bride would have to wait at her father's house until the groom come back to get her. And then, this would take sometimes six months up to a year. He'd have to build a house or build a room onto his house. He'd have to get his trade set. He'd come back and get his bride. And then they'd go back for what we call the celebration, the big celebration, where there'd be a, a feast and, and they'd, uh, the whole town would come and, and the bride would be waiting with her bridesmaids and he'd, he'd take her back and it'd be a huge celebration with a, with a parade and, and they'd, be, they'd have torches going down the, the middle of town and everybody in town would say, oh, we're having a wedding celebration. It'd be the biggest event uh, of all the year. Now notice this. In this story, this story takes place between step two and step three. That they're getting ready for the groom to come back. And the bridesmaids are all at the, the bride's house and they're all getting themselves ready, ready, re waiting for the groom to come back. And we are right now, if you don't see this, waiting for, but we're, we're in between two and three right now too, spiritually speaking. I, I want to say we, we still have those steps. Number one, the father chose his bride before the foundation of the world. That's God the Father chose the bride. Jesus came and, and there, there was that, that commitment at time, that time where Jesus went to die on the cross for our sins and then he went back and we're waiting now for him to come again for his bride and we're in the midst of a preparation. Jesus said in John 14, I go, I'll come back and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. So we're in the preparation stage. Now I say all that. You say, Josh, we've got a lot of verses to cover. And you're getting nowhere. Look at verse 1. Those ten virgins are waiting for the bridegroom. And it says that five of them were wise, sensible, and five of them were morons. <laughs> they were stupid. That's what it says in verse 2. And five of them were wise, sensible, understanding, knows what's important. And five were foolish. So what was the difference? Verses 3 and 4. What's the difference between someone who's wise and someone who's foolish? It says they that were foolish brought their lamps but didn't bring any oil. But the wise took oil in their vessels and had their lamps. So the difference between, and you've got to get this, to the wise and the foolish is the oil. That, that's the difference. The difference between somebody who's wise and somebody who's foolish is that one had oil and one didn't. One was prepared and one wasn't. You say, what's the oil? And there's a lot of ideas on this. But I, I, just looking at it, here, here's what I think the oil is. I think it's something very important. What good is a torch without oil? What, what good is a, a candle if you ain't got a lighter? The power went out a few weeks ago at the house and said, I got, I got candles. I got candles. Let's get candles. We didn't have a lighter in the house. <laughs> What good is a candle without a lighter? What good is a light bulb if you don't have electricity? What good is a car if you don't have gas? So I say, whatever this oil is, it's the most important thing. That they had everything but the main thing. And I don't think it's easy to see. Because if you look at the, the wise and the foolish, all ten of them, and you looked at them, you'd go down the list and, and they were all dressed, they were all ready, they all had their torches. Every single one of them looked the exact same. You couldn't tell who was ready and who wasn't. It's something that, that, that the out, outside you couldn't see. They had all the externals, but they were missing the internal, what lit the fire. 
So what do you think it is? If it's the, the, the most important thing, if it's not easy to see, I believe, and I think I'm in good company with this, that the oil represents the, the Holy Spirit. I believe that it represents what the Holy Spirit does within us. That the Holy Spirit is important in salvation. We, we need to see that. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes so that we can see the, the beauty and, and, and the greatness of, of what Jesus has done for us. It's the Holy Spirit that, that changes our hearts, not on, on the outside, but on the inside. It's the Holy Spirit that people, it's the, it's the main thing. It's conversion, it's salvation. What people can't see. I can't look around here today and say, I can tell who's wise and who's foolish. That's on the inside. The outside, we can all look ready. We can all look the same. But you might not have what's most important. True salvation and conversion. So that's what this is. It's outwardly they were ready, but inwardly they were not. I don't think the, the five foolish virgins were saved at all. And then you can see that in verse 4, wise had their oil. Verse 3, foolish didn't. Let's say this, wise were saved, foolish wasn't. Verse 5, and while the bridegroom tarried, they all fell asleep. There's nothing wrong with falling asleep here. The bridegroom delayed longer than expected. Rest is okay if you're ready. Get that. Rest is okay if you're ready. If you're not ready, then rest is nothing but false security. Where you think you're okay and you're actually not. And I want to stop right here and apply this. There's a lot of people sitting in churches right now with false security. That they think they're ready and they're not. A major part of being ready for the return of Christ is a self-examination of yourself, your heart, and where you stand with God. You may have all the externals and everything and going to church and dressing the part and knowing this and being baptized and being on the roll and all these things that you can have on the outside that looks just like everybody else in the church that you look wise like everybody else but on the inside do you have what really matters which is has the Holy Spirit changed your heart? There's a lot of people sitting in churches this Sunday across the world who think they're ready and they're not. Only a fool doesn't prepare for eternity. How can we prepare for eternity? By examining ourselves to see where we're, if we're saved or not. You can't assume, get this, don't assume you're saved. You better have assurance that you're saved. You better know beyond a, a shadow of a doubt. You, you might have profession of faith and not possession of faith. You might have the torch with no oil. You might have the, the form of godliness, but not the power thereof. You need to make beyond a shadow of a doubt sure that you are right with God. It's self-examination. Don't you rest until you're right. Don't. Have a false sense of security where you go through life thinking you're okay and you're actually not. That would be foolish. So we must examine. Again, being part, being part of being prepared is wa of watching and ready is self-examination. Being prepared. So we must make sure. That's the fool's preparation. Let me move on. Verse six. The fool's panic. Again, they, they fell asleep. They thought they were okay. Five were okay, and five wasn't okay. And now all of a sudden, you have the panic. The fool's caught off guard. 
And at midnight, you see, that it says at midnight, so it's late. And that's, I think that's one of the main points of, of this passage, is, is Jesus saying that his return may be delayed longer than we expect. Midnight's late. Midnight's when, when everybody falls asleep. So it, it's gotten late, and it's gotten dark, and they all dozed off, and, and all of a sudden, at midnight, they heard a cry. They heard what we will hear, a trump, the voice of an archangel. There'll be a shout. There'll be something very loud. And this is real. This, this is going to happen one day where we will be not looking, not ready. And there'll be a shout or a voice or a cry or a trumpet. And it will go off. And all of us, our eyes will, will open wide. And that's what happens here. It's a wake-up call. Here we go. Time has arrived. This is what we're waiting for. The alarm clock has gone off. You can imagine that. This cry goes off. And it's just like an alarm clock in the morning when you're not, you're not expecting it. I want to take my phone and throw it across the room. My alarm clock goes off at 4.45 in the morning. I, I want to take it and just, no! But if you're sound asleep and it, it, it blares out, your, your eyes open and you sit up in bed. That's what this is. They heard the, at midnight a cry. Behold, it's time. The bridegroom's on his way. Go out to meeting. Get yourself dressed. Get up. Go out and meet him. Verse 7. Watch this. And they all ten get up. And they all ten start getting ready. It says all those virgins got up, arose. And they grabbed their lamps. It's dark. It's midnight. There's going to be a parade through town. At that time, if you ain't got a light, you ain't got nothing. So they all grabbed their lights and then this would be a, a, a pole. Some say it would be as, as tall as they were. And at the end of it, they'd have uh, a piece of cloth wrapped around it. And if you didn't have oil to put on the cloth, you couldn't light that thing. So they all grab their lamps. They all get them ready. Verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us oil, our lamps are gone out. Can you imagine that? They say, Oh no! We're not ready. This is the, the, the worst place you'd ever want to realize you're not ready. When Jesus returns. Amen. Or we could even say at death. That's why it's so wise to make sure you're ready right now. Because you don't want to find out in that time that you're not ready. Amen. So they grab their, 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 their torches and, and they start trying to, to light it. And they're sitting there. Can you imagine this? I mean, everybody's in a hurry. There's, there's, a, there's a rush. There's, there's, okay, there's a, a panic going on. We've got to get our stuff. We've got to get out there. He's on his way. We've we got to get ready. We've got to get ready. We've got to get ready. Here it is. It's only seconds away. And they grab their torch and they're sitting there trying to light that thing. I don't think they had lighters. They didn't have a, a big, you know. I, I, so, so, I, don't, I don't know how they would light the thing. But they're sitting there trying their best, trying to get that thing lit. And they're trying and they're trying and they're trying. And, and, it, and it won't. And they realize in that moment, I'm not ready. In that moment, there'll be a whole lot of people finding out at the worst possible time, I'm not ready. Wise, make sure they're ready right now. Fools will wait till that moment. It's a gracious act of God to let us know now that we're not ready. Instead of waiting till that moment. At that moment, Jesus is going to distinguish between who's wise and who's foolish, who's ready and who's not. So they realize, I'm not ready. I think this is the... I had a teacher tell me one time, when you 
read these stories, find the drama in the text, hit the live nerve. And the live nerve's right there in verse 8. Our lamps have gone out. We're not ready. Can you feel the panic in that? The bridegroom's come, and we're not ready. We aren't prepared. We didn't prepare ourselves for this. In that moment. So now they begin to panic and try to figure it out. Look what they do. They ask the wise for some oil. It says in verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, the, the, the not ready said to the ready, Give us some of your oil. We can't get our lamps lit. Doing anything they can to get ready in that moment. We should be doing everything we can in this moment to make sure we're ready and not have to wait till that moment. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. And in verse 9, the wise answered and said, Nope, unless there's not enough for all of us. The answer is no. And in that moment, you need to understand this, in that moment, when Jesus returns, or even in death, in that moment, there's nothing you can do. There's no place you can turn. If Jesus returns, there's no, there's no bomb you can turn to and say, uh, can you help me out? Or, or Dad, please, uh, you've you, you got to help me out. Or a brother or a sister or, or a spouse or, or your children or, or your pastor. Hey, help me out. I, I'm not ready. And he is. Or I'm not ready and, and she is. And you're turning looking for somebody, anybody. Help me out. I'm not ready. There's nothing you can do. Salvation must be attained by personal faith now because in that moment it's too late. So they say, no, there's nothing we can do now. So the next thing, go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. So they go and take off looking for somebody. Where they're going, I don't know. Who's open at midnight? Is there an oil mart somewhere? I don't know. So they go looking and they, and they can't find it. Get this. It was available everywhere before that moment. They could get it anywhere they wanted at that moment. I mean, there was, there was preachers preaching it all over at that moment. And I'm not talking about oil right now. I'm talking about salvation. It was, it was available. The gospel was being preached. And you, you had invitation after invitation after invitation. But the bridegroom has, has come. And, and now it's too late to get it. You know you can have salvation today. Amen. But if Jesus comes back, you can't have it at that point. They look everywhere. Imagine the panic. It's nowhere to be found. There's nobody with oil. And they realize we can't get in this celebration without a lot. We're stuck. The fool wasn't prepared. The fool was in a panic. And now the fool must face reality. It says, you go, but you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Verses 6 to 9 shows us. A, uh, and you need to see that. You need to feel that. You need to know that. That when, when this happened, there was panic. Unbelievable panic. 
And when Jesus returns and you're not ready, there will be panic. Frantic. Doing everything they can to get ready in that moment. When they should have got ready long before that moment. Number three. I want to show you the fool's peril. Because the fool doesn't get a second chance. It's too late. Look what it says in verse 10. And when they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And this is the worst part of the story. I want to spend most of our time in these three verses, or these four verses. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. This is the worst part of the story. The worst part of the story is that the door was shut. The worst part of the story says that, the, 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 that the, those who were ready, the wise, went into the, went into the celebration, went into the, to the party, went into the reception, went into the, the, the feast. I, I've, got, I've got a few minutes. I want to read to you the feast. It's in Revelation. You don't have to turn there, but let me read to you Revelation chapter 19. It says this. Let us be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the, the righteousness of the saints. There you go. It's salvation. They were ready. Verse 9, And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. This is going to happen. So the ready went in. But the door was shut for everybody else. It says there, and and they that were ready went in. With him to the marriage. And then the door was shut. In my mind, it was shut just like Noah's ark was shut. Are you, are you, are you, I want you to be with me on this. You go back to the story of Noah, and for a hundred, a hundred years, 180 years, something like that, he was preaching and building, preaching and building, and, and he was inviting. And, and you can imagine that as people walked by the ark, he was constantly saying, Come in, the door is open. Come in, the door is open. There's the storm of the, the wrath and the judgment of God is coming. It's going to fall. We don't know when. It could be at any time. You've got to be ready. Get in the ship with me. Get in the ark. The door is wide open. And then the rain started coming and God shut the door and when people wanted in the most, they couldn't get in. I've told the story. It's, it's not a kid's story. It's not an archie-archie. It, it, it's, can you imagine God shutting the door on the ark and all of humanity on the outside clawing and knocking and, and trying to get in and, and Noah looking down from the inside and saying, it's too late. You've had your chance. That's what this is going on here. They're in the party. They're in the celebration. They're, they're with the, the bride and the groom. And on the outside, the door is shut and they can't get in. No second chances. Time is up. It was wide open for so long. And now it's shut. And look what they do on the outside. Verse 11. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord. I I think this has to be read in the the way that it would be said. Don't you? Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, "Uh, Lord, Lord. Is that how you think it would be said? 
Lord, Lord, uh, would you would you let us in? Hey, hey, uh, we want in too, you know. Now afterwards they came also to the virgin saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. We were, we were just a little late. A little late is to be late for all eternity. Lord, Lord. And it goes back to, I think, Matthew chapter 7. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. That's as scary as it gets. They thought they were ready and they wasn't. And then they want in. At that moment, they want what they can't have. And right now, they can have what they don't want. Are you with me on that? There's people in this room right now, and right now, that you can have salvation and you don't want it. You, could, you, you don't care. But in that day, you know what that is? That's foolish. But in that day, you'll want what you can't have. Salvation. They want in. They're knocking. They're asking, Lord, Lord, let us in. Party going on. Feast going on. All the other wise virgins and bridesmaids are in there. And it's a, it's a party unlike any other party that the town would ever see. This is the event of the year. And everybody's in there. And it's, it's, it's everything that you could ever imagine. And on the outside are these fools saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. We were a part two. We were invited to. But you didn't answer the invitation in time. We were involved. We know some people in there. We used to hang out with them people. There'll be people in that time saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not go to church? Did we not get up on Sunday when it was 12 degrees and, and go and listen to that guy preach for an hour? Did we not give? Did we not get baptized? Did we not go to Sunday school? Did we not go on Sunday nights? Did we not go every time the doors were open? Did we not post about it? We did all these things, but you know what they didn't do? They did all these other things, but the one thing that they didn't do was the one thing they had to do to get in. They were missing the oil. Knocking on the door saying, we want a second chance. We were so close, and they were. But close when it comes to salvation isn't good enough. And maybe the most dreaded words in the entire passage. Verse 11, afterward came also the other virgins, the foolish ones, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And there's a lot of people that would say right now, and I don't want to be mean about it, but there's a lot of people that believe right now that at that moment, that Jesus is going to be so loving and so kind and so tolerant and so open and so that he's, he just has to let me in. He's just, he just has to. I, he knows that I'm a, I'm a good person and he knows that I've tried my best and he knows that I, I did everything that I could and, and he'll understand in that day and he'll give me a second chance and everything will be alright and I don't have to worry about it. Only a fool says those things. Because this is what Jesus says. Look what he says. But he answered and he said, see that? Red words, Jesus' words. In that moment, verily, which means truly, pay attention to this. 
I say unto you, I don't know you. Wow. There will be people who hear this thinking they know him. But all that matters in the end is that he knows us. Back to the main point. You must be ready now. Self-examination. Not do I know him, but does he know me? I can take you to Matthew 7, which says the same thing. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. You see that? It's almost like this is repeated all the time. To try to make sure that everybody examines themselves to make sure they're ready. Because not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord. And I think everybody in this room today would say, Lord, Lord. Everybody in this room today would probably say, yeah, I've said Lord, Lord. Yeah, I've, I've done all these external things. But the, the main thing is, is, is your heart changed? Have you been converted? Are you truly saved? He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day. What, what's in that day? Same day he's talking about in Matthew 25. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils and done, and in your name done many wonderful works? And then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that ye that work iniquity. That's as scary as it gets. That's the, the worst part of the story is being left out. Being told no. Being told it's too late. Being told there's no second chances. Can you imagine being told, I don't know you? And it'll be, you say, well, I've had people say, that's mean. <laughs> all, all over some oil? <laughs> no, all over true salvation. Amen. It'll be your fault because you didn't make sure. Because you were a fool. All because they didn't make sure they were 100% ready. I do this with my kids all the time. I've got three kids playing basketball right now. And I'm in every different direction all the time. And Gracie will get in my car and she carries this big old bag with her everywhere she goes. Every time she goes to practice. Every time she goes to a game. And I'll get in the car with her and I'll say, you ready? She'll say, yeah, Dad, I'm ready. You got everything? <laughs> yeah, Dad, I got everything. You got your shoes? Yeah, Dad, I got my shoes. You got your uniform? Yeah, Dad, I got my uniform. And I just go down the list of all those things, and, and I'm driving down the road, and, and she's saying, yeah, Dad, I've checked. I, I know I do. And all of a sudden, she'll open up her zipper <laughs> and start picking through all the, you know. You know what she's doing? She's double-checking to make sure she's got everything. I got my boys in there. Christian, you got everything? Yeah, Dad. Mom packed it all last night. <laughs> you sure? We got to a game last week. I said, you got everything in the car? Yeah, Dad, I, I got everything. We got to the game. He said, Dad, I brought the wrong shoes. <laughs> you told me you had everything. He didn't double check. He didn't make sure. There's a whole lot of people that's going down their list of making sure they're right and they're ready for when Christ returns. 
I go to church. I tithe. I listen to that guy preach for an hour every Sunday. I do everything that I think I can. But you need to, to make sure because you can do all these externals and the, the examination doesn't need to be the externals of your life. It needs to be the internal. You can do all these things and still miss the main thing which is true salvation. Has your heart been changed? You better make sure. 100% ready. Only a fool doesn't prepare for eternity. This whole story is getting us to examine. And then he says in verse 13, and I'll, I'll close. This is the warning he gives. So watch, therefore. Look, beware, pay attention, keep your eyes open. For you don't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. It could be sooner than you expect. It could be later than you expect. So you better make sure right now that you're ready. That's the whole point. Five times in two chapters already he's told us to watch, to be ready. That there could be a midnight cry tonight and he returns. So the question again is, this is so important. Are you wise or are you foolish? Which are you? A fool would hear this and, and go through these 13 verses and I, I know there's a lot of background and different things that I'm doing here, but a fool would hear this and they'd be unfazed. A fool would hear this and they'd go on with their life. And they'd say what, what, what the Greek philosopher said at the beginning of the sermon, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus could come back tomorrow. So I better make sure that I'm living it up when He comes back. That I'm, I'm getting everything that I can out of life. If that's true, I'm going to live it up tonight. I'm not going to church. I'm not getting right. I'm not doing nothing. I'm just going to live my life to the fullest until He comes back. That's a foolish way to live. A fool will look at it and say, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need to examine anything. I made a profession in Bible school as a little kid a long time ago. I'm all right. That's enough. Is it? Has your heart been changed? Have you been converted? You could be saying, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And deep down, you know you're not. Don't be the fool. Don't hear this and go on living your life no differently than when you walked in. Don't play the fool. Be wise. A wise man hears this. And I hope you're wise. And examines himself. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this. Examine yourself. <laughs> examine yourself. Spend a few minutes today checking yourself. Listen to what it says. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is in you unless you be a reprobate. You need to make sure. You need to examine yourself. You need to check your heart. You need to look deep and, and really think about these things and, and ponder on where you'd spend eternity if Jesus came back today or if you died today. You need to examine yourself. A wise man or a wise woman will examine their hearts today. And if they find that they're not right, they'd make it right today. Because right now, in this moment, the door is wide open. Wide open. 
wide open. And we spend every single Sunday inviting you to go in the door. I've told you before, my, my sermons are full of enter in, come. Invitation after invitation that the, the door is wide open. So if you examine yourself and you see that you're not right, a wise man makes it right. And does it today. Because that door could be shut at any time. And there's no second chances. And there's no coming back. And there will be a time when it's too late to repent. And a little late is late for eternity. These books out there now, I think they're straight from hell. These people tell stories about how they've died and, and how they, they came back and they got a second chance. Is that not the devil saying, you'll get another chance? You'll get another chance. It'll be okay. Don't, don't, just keep putting it off. Keep, keep living how you want to live and doing what you, you want to do and, and being like a Epicurious and, and the hedonist and, and just living it up. Just keep doing it because you can always get a second chance. I think it's even uh, the devil that'll say, do it on your deathbed. Just, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. And Jesus always says, do it right now. There's no, there's no, there's no promise of tomorrow. All we have is this moment and this day and right now the door is wide open for you to get saved. To make it right. To examine yourselves. Do it now. Don't go to sleep tonight unless you're a hundred percent sure that you're saved. The best sleep you'll ever have is having assurance that you're saved. George Whitfield told this story, and I'll close. He actually preached on Matthew 25.10, one whole sermon. And the title of the sermon was, The Door Was Shut. And he said that he, as he preached, he kept saying, The door was shut. And the door was shut. And the door was shut. And this, this guy, if you know anything about George Whitfield, he was an evangelist, and he was using it to, to persuade people to come in. The door was shut. And he would say, the door was shut. And just over and over and over in the sermon, the door was shut. And, and then the, the door was shut. And, and that's the, 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 the last thing you want to hear. The worst part of the story is the door is shut. And he said, as he was preaching, he heard a man whisper to somebody in the audience and say, so what? If the door shuts, there'll be another one open. And Whitfield heard that and he said, I love this about him. This is why he's one of my heroes. He says, there may be some here who is careless and foolish, maybe even looking at the guy who said it, who would say, it doesn't matter if the door is shut, another one will open. I'm talking about stepping on some toes. He says, yes, it will. There will be another door that opens. The door to the bottomless pit. The door to hell. He said that when that time runs out and God shuts the door of salvation, the only door that will be open to you is the door of doom and the door of darkness and the door of despair and the door of damnation. That's the only door that you get. And then he closed with this, and this is what I'm going to close with today. He said, but today, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you will enter into the still wide open door of salvation unto eternal life. And he said, have you walked through that door? 
And then he encouraged the entire, the entire audience or congregation to enter in that door while it's open. Because the door will shut. The door will shut. And only a fool, only a fool would not enter into that door. Only a fool fails to prepare for eternity. And the title of the sermon is, Don't Be a Fool. Exclamation point. Don't put it off. Don't assume that you're right. Make 100% sure. And I pray God uses this sermon in here today because there's been so many people in this church through the years who are depending on something other than the work of Christ on the cross for their salvation. And they've made it right. So there may be someone in here today who you're not really truly saved. And you need to put your faith in Jesus today while there's a chance. There may be someone watching online today. Can you imagine that? Who knows who watches? And they're sitting there and they think they are. And right now in this moment, God is opening their eyes to the reality of where they really stand. And he's doing it now instead of at that day. That's so, so gracious of God. I'll end with my own personal story. That I made a profession of faith when I was a kid. I grew up in a Christian school and I went to church and mom and dad made sure I was in church every time the doors were open. I went to a Christian school, went to a great church, heard great preaching, had two uncles that were preachers. And I went on with my life just, just, just living it up, doing whatever I wanted to do. I was a hedonist at heart. Through high school, through college, did, did whatever I wanted to do. And God could have easily just let me go on like that all the way up until I died or he returned. And I would have found out in that moment that I wasn't right. He could have easily done that. He could have let me go. But I'm so thankful that at the age of 23, sitting in a, in a church that my mom had made me come to, sitting beside Steph, that God opened my eyes to the reality of, Josh, you ain't right, buddy. Your heart ain't changed. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You've not been converted. You're not saved. So gracious of God that in that moment He opened my eyes and it wasn't later on when it was too late. I'm so... I thank God every day for opening my eyes before it was too late. And in that moment, I don't even... I can't even imagine what was going through my head as I was listening to that sermon and I was sitting in the pews and I could take you to the spot where I was sitting. And the preacher was preaching and, and Steph could see it. I was, I was grabbing onto the, to the pew in front of me. And she probably thought I was crazy. And I, I was sitting there in my head. I was saying, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I didn't want to examine myself. I know I am. I know I am. I'm not saved. And when the invitation came, I got up and walked forward. At that moment, God saved my soul. And I'm so thankful that he opened my eyes then and not when it was too late. And I pray today that if there's somebody in here like that who may be sitting there saying, I know I'm saved, I know I'm saved. I'm not asking you to doubt your salvation. I'm asking you to make sure of your salvation. Make sure today. When I pray right now, I want you in your pews to say, God, I'm not sure. If you're not. If you're not sure, you need to say right now, God, I'm, I'm not sure. 
But if I'm not, would you please save my soul? Forgive my sins. Please save me. The door's open and he'll do it right now. No doubt. And if you're here today and you're saved and you know it, (laughs) then you need to bow your head and say, thank you, God, for saving my soul, for letting me see. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to open our eyes and let us see that we're not saved. That's what he does. And if you're here today and he's opened your eyes and you know that you're saved, you need to thank God for opening your eyes, showing you the condition of your heart and saving you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, even the warnings. And this is a warning. This is a self-examination passage. And God, I pray that you would use this passage to open eyes. That's been my prayer all week. I I know it's a tough passage. God, I pray that you'd open eyes. That you'd let them see where they stand. I can't see. Looking out at the externals, we all look the same. We all look right today. I can't see the condition of the heart. So I pray, God, that you, by your spirit, would show people where they stand. And if, they don't, if they're not right, that you'd save them. And those that are saved. And we thank you for opening our eyes and letting us see before it was too late. Please use this passage today to accomplish, God, what you have set it out to do. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.